Welcome. You are listening to sermon audio from Day 3 Church in Granite Falls, North Carolina. We invite you to join us online or in person for one of our services. For more information about our church, please visit day3church.org. Day 3 Church, experience a new day in your life. Good morning. Some of you may be wondering why we uh, had pieces of paper in all the chairs this morning. So uh, kind of before I jump into the message, because uh, Daryl will be actually coming down uh, later to do the giving talk uh, today uh, at the end of the service and uh, and everything. But I wanted to give you a little bit of advance notice uh, about this. We today are going to uh, also, for the first time in a long time, pass baskets when we take the offering up at the end of the service. And um, I, so if you've already put something in the pedestal today, that's fine. Uh, the pedestals will probably disappear by now next week, at least until after Christmas, because we will make our giving a little bit more worshipful and everything. Uh, I sound like I'm in a drum, guys, for some reason up, up there this morning. Maybe it's God giving me extra volume while I talk about giving. Maybe that's what it is. Uh, but uh, you've heard us talk for several weeks now about the Christmas offering. We're calling it the greatest gift uh, this year. And uh, our objectives, as we have been mentioning uh, each week, uh, we want to raise $6,000 to fix a youth uh, space upstairs in our in our fellowship hall. And part of that uh, for Ken and I to have a place to work with our young people and help transform their lives and, uh, and more uh, youth for uh, a long time to come, hopefully. Uh, and then we also want to raise uh, an additional uh, $2,000 to put into our budget next year, other than what we do set aside to go into what we are changing from calling our benevolence account to day three cares, because there's just so much need locally. We have so many people calling that we want to put an additional $2,000 aside to help people uh, with uh, with bills and things like that uh, and, uh, and urgent needs that they have uh, when they call us. And then the uh, the last two thousand dollars, because we we've got a goal uh, to raise ten thousand dollars. The last two thousand dollars is to go and be added to our four missions uh, given as we send it into Lottie Moon Christmas offering. Uh, so I hope you'll be praying about those goals uh, today. The reason we have this, the sixteenth is our kind of in gathering day, and and we have a, a goal that day to raise ten thousand dollars over and above uh, what our offering is. Uh, so this is just kind of uh, maybe a little bit of a filler uh, thing for us to help us see, you know, if you're understanding what we're talking about. So if you would just kind of look at this, pray over it, fill it out by the end of the service, put it in the baskets when we receive the offering at the end, because it'll help us evaluate kind of where we stand, uh, how people are thinking about uh, giving, if you need some more information, if we've not communicated clearly or what, and that'll help us uh, if you'll please take time to fill that out uh, at the, uh, uh, and then Daryl will uh, have you to put it in baskets at the end uh, of the service. Uh, we are in a long series that we've called uh, When in Rome. Uh, we have um, made it through, uh, almost through chapter 8. We'll finish chapter 8 uh, today, God willing. And uh, back starting in, in chapter 6, 7, and 8, Paul started dealing with the topic of sanctification. He had dealt with sin, how we are all sinners and we cannot save ourselves. He dealt with salvation, uh, showing us how salvation is provided for us uh, by God 
because of his grace as a free gift uh, when we receive Christ as our Savior. And then he started talking about this thing called sanctification, where God sets us apart unto himself. Uh, God has the desire for us to be more and more uh, like Jesus. And, and especially in Romans chapter 8, we've been noticing uh, that because you see, it's not based upon uh, our ability. We didn't save ourselves uh, by our uh, work in the flesh or by our own energies. Neither can we make ourselves more like Jesus. Uh, but the Holy Spirit lives in our lives exactly to do that. And we need to surrender to the Holy Spirit instead of surrender to our old nature in, in our old flesh. Uh, there are several freedoms that we've been talking about in, uh, in Romans chapter 8. And I'll bring those up one more time on the screen. Hopefully you'll remember those sometime if anybody asks you uh, about them. But we start out with a freedom from judgment because Paul, under divine inspiration, tells us there's now no condemnation of those who are in Christ Jesus and then says some other things about that in the first 11 verses. Uh, not only is there no condemnation, there's no obligation. If you're a Christian, you've been set free uh, to where you don't have to live according to your old nature, according to the flesh. You can actually live for God and please Him, and that's what He desires for you to do. Last week we saw this. There's no comparison because uh, Paul uh, more or less says that, you know, if, if you look at everything uh, that exists now, whether it be suffering, and I told you last week, even if it's good, the best this world has to offer doesn't compare with the glory that God has waiting for us. So there's no comparison, and, and if you and I as believers recognize there's just no comparison between what God has waiting for us and what exists in this world, that's a pretty freeing thing to have in, in your mind and, and a lot of freedom in that. He closes out the chapter by talking about how there is no separation. There's no separation. Think about how much freedom we kind of ought to experience uh, as a believer. If you know Christ is your Savior with this thought, there's no separation. We have a permanent relationship with God through Jesus Christ. There is no separation from the love of God whatsoever. And if we would remember that and, and kind of build our, our mindset and our lives around that, how freeing that ought to be for you and I to understand there's no separation from God's love. Regrettably, there's separation in a lot of other love relationships. There can be a separation that happens in this uh, world because of death or because of divorce or, you know, friendships breaking apart or whatever the case might be. But uh, God will never, ever, ever cease to love you. There, there is no separation for you as a child of God. If you know Christ is your Savior, there's nothing that can separate you from God's love. And that's what we're going to talk about today. Look, look at these verses <clears throat> that Paul writes. What shall we say to these things? I'm going to talk about that in just a moment before we jump into the rest of the message. But he says, if God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. <clears throat> who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who's at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate or what shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. Knowing all these things... We're more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor 
rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor death, or anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. He starts out by saying, what shall we say to these things? Think about all that he said. What shall we say to the fact that we all deserve to be condemned forever? Well, what should we say to the fact that God, by His grace and His mercy and His love, sent His Son in our place to die on the cross so that through faith in Him we can be justified, made just like we've never sinned? What, what should we say to things like we don't have to serve sin anymore? We are to view ourselves as though we are dead to sin, and, and we are to view ourselves as though we're dead to the law. We're not under an obligation to try and earn anything by, by following the law. What, what shall we say to things like the Holy Spirit coming to live in our lives the instant we receive Christ as our Savior? What do we say to things like that? What do we say to the truth that we can call God Daddy? What do we say to truths that, that, that tell us that, that God so loves us? He says that as far as He's concerned, we're like we're glorified past tense already. What, what do we say to things like that? What do we say to a truth that he's going to talk to us about today that nothing can separate us from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus? See, more or less, he says, what shall we say about these things? And, and then he's kind of going to tell us what we can say about those things. And really this morning, it's not a fancy outline at all because Paul raises some very, I think, vital questions, some very important questions, and then he gives some pretty intriguing answers. And that's all we're going to do. We're going to look at four questions, four main questions that Paul raises in these verses today and see how he answers those questions. Here's question number one. If God is for us, who can be against us? If God is for us, who can be against us? He said, if God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? In all these questions today, I'm going to kind of talk about just what the meaning of the question is, and then we're going to look at the, at the answer. So, so really, what does that question mean? He, he's saying, if God is for us, who can be against us? Think about that. He uses a word that talks about God being the supreme divinity the supreme god there's not any other god so if if that type of god is for us and the word for for literally means over uh, it, it talks about god being in that position or place over or beyond uh, us for the sake of us and, and he he's there uh, regarding us he's superior to us he's more than us you can get that meaning out of out of all those words so think about the question that he's asking in light of god that god the supreme god being for us who who can really be against us. And then look how he answers that. To start with, I think there's some answers that are implied by the question that he just brought up. The answers that are implied by the question are simply these. If, if God is for us, think about that. If the supreme God, if the one who created everything and spoke it into existence, if that God is for us, who in the world can be against us? Or you might even want to look at it like this. What does it matter if somebody's against you? If you know the supreme God is on your side. Amen? I mean, Satan will be against you. You'll have people against you from time to time and things like that. But what does that matter if you as a believer know that God is, is for you? 
He, he also implies this, God is, is over us. And I, I told you that kind of meant that God is, is caring for us, he's over us, he's watching out over us. So once again, what does it matter who might be trying to come against us or be against us if we know that the all-powerful God is overseeing for us, he's, he's watching out for us. And also, the word for also had this connotation to it. It means that God's superior to us. And if you think about it, a lot of times if somebody's against us, we're trying to think, how can I deal with it? Or how can I pay them back? Or, you know, what can I do? You see, that's the wrong question. Because if you're a Christian, it's not what you can do because there's somebody that's much more powerful than you. And that is God who is on your side. So he kind of implies an answer to the question, even in the question itself. But but look at some answers that Paul actually applies to the question. Look at what he said there. He, talking about God the Father, who did not spare his own son, talking about Jesus, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him, along with giving Jesus for us, how will he not graciously give us all things? Now, now think about a couple of things that, 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 he, that he says there. He says, first of all, he lets us know that God gave his what? Best. God is God, and God could have chosen to, to you know, say, well, all right, Michael, you're the archangel. I'm going to send you. You can go and die for him on the cross. I, I'm going to take care of their salvation in some other way. But that's not God's plan. That's not the way God chose for it to work. God wanted to communicate so clearly to us that he's for us, that he loves us, that he sent his best. He sent his very own son and, and gave him up. It, it said he did not spare. He absolutely did not spare him. He didn't try and preserve him. And that blows my mind because you see, I've, I've got children. Some of you have children and, and, and we do what we can to protect them, wouldn't we? To, to preserve them, to try and save them from any kind of danger. But God, in, in great love for us, instead absolutely did not spare His Son. And that little word in the Greek, but we just read over a lot of times, but it actually means contrary-wise, God. You get this thought, God, God did not spare Him. Instead, He intentionally did something else, which was to give Him up. And it means to surrender, to, to entrust, to transmit. And the root word that it's built on means near to give. So, you see, you don't have a situation happening to where God was absent in some way, God the Father was absent in some way, and just somehow Jesus wound up being taken to be crucified. No, you've got God the Father being near and giving His Son over intentionally to die for our sins. Now now think about that thought for a moment. If God gave His best, who could be against us? You know, did, did did God not communicate to us how much He values us and how much He loves us? By sending his best and giving his best up for us by sending Jesus to die for our sins. You want a picture of, of, of how much God cares and how much God loves us. Here it is. He loves us so much that he gave his only son to die for us. We're doing that greatest gift, you know, Christmas offering I'm, I'm talking about. We've got some pretty good reasons before us right now why we ought to give, don't we? Because God gave His best. That's why we're calling it the greatest gift. God gave us the greatest gift in His Son. And that communicates to us how much He's for us and how much He cares for us and how much He loves us. And we ought to have that desire to graciously give. But look at the second thing that's applied from what Paul says to this question, who... Who can be against us? Since God gave His Son, 
what else will he not do? <laughs> I mean, doesn't it communicate to us the fact that he gave Jesus? That's the ultimate. <laughs> if he's willing to give Jesus the ultimate gift, will he not also take care of other things? Will he, will he not also graciously give us all things? He, he, he more or less says, how will he not also do it? How, in what way? It's even in the form of an exclamation in the Greek, how will he not also? In other words, there's this kind of cognitive or, or cumulative force effect taking place, the, the way it's phrased in, in the Greek. He gave his son, but he will also, in addition to that, give with him. And that denotes our union together with Christ and God's union together with the gift of Christ, all that he will graciously give to us. And, and it means to grant a favor, to give in kindness, to pardon, or rescue. The word all, guess what? Surprise. In the Greek, it means all. Every form, every declension, the whole. If God did that for us, will he not take care of the other things in your life? Will he not take care of Satan wanting to accuse you or other people wanting to be against you? If God is if for you, who can be against you? And he raises that question, then he, then he answers it. See, God the Father is so much for us that we become the sons and daughters of God. And we become not just the sons and daughters of God, but we saw last week he looks at us as though we're already glorified. So we're the glorified children of God. And if we're the glorified children of God, how will he not continue to act on our behalf? If he says, as far as I'm concerned, you're with me in heaven and you're glorified right now, he's going to continue to be active. He's going to continue to be engaged in our lives because he views us as glorified children. And he's doing everything that he needs to do to ultimately get us there to where we are, his full glorified children. So if he gave us Jesus, will he not take care of the rest? Second question is this. Paul says, who shall bring any charge against God's elect? Verse 33 said, who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. So what's the meaning of that question? The, the meaning of the question involves accusation. Who's going to accuse us? Now, Satan at the bottom of the screen, I'll just jump on down to that. He's even called in the Bible the, the accuser of the, the brethren. So part of... His task, part of his work, even part of his name, literally means that. He, he accuses people. He has a desire to accuse us. Bring the charge means to bring to an account, like bringing a criminal charge to bear against someone, to incriminate someone. That's the, the question that Paul's raising. Who can do that to a believer? Who can do that to a Christian? Who can incriminate us? Who can take us to a legal court and hold us guilty for all of our past Sins is kind of the idea that he's, that he's given us. Who can bring any charge against God's elect? Against God's favorites is, is another way to even translate that. Because God so loved you that he has chosen you in Christ. Who can bring anything? That's the question that he's asking. You want to know what the answer to the question is? And I love it. It's a real good answer. The answer to the question is this. The answer to the question is justification. That's the answer to the question. 
He says it is God who justifies. Think about that. We're concerned a lot of times as believers because we fail to recognize what was said back in Romans chapter 8 and verse 1. There's therefore now, right now, not just one day in heaven at a judgment seat, but right now there's no condemnation of those who are in Christ Jesus. And we run around as believers sometimes almost allowing the devil to cause us to believe that God somehow is going to condemn us or is condemning us. The question that he raised is this, who, who will accuse us? Who will bring any charge against us? And the answer that Paul gives is really saying this, not God. Because God's the one, if you're a Christian, who's justified you. If you know Christ is your Savior, the moment you receive Jesus as Savior, the supreme God of all the universe, rendered or regarded you as just or innocent, he looks at you just like you've never, what, what does it mean? Sinned. <coughs> Instead, God looks at us as though our character and, and our actions are innocent and holy. They're not, are they? You see, Satan does have room to come and point his finger regrettably at our lives and make accusations. And, and you see, the charges are really true, right? They're, they're true. I mean, if you, if you try and say the charges aren't true, you're lying to yourself and you're lying to God. You try and say you're not a sinner. That's what the Bible tells us in 1 John. If you say the charges aren't true, that's not the deal. The charges are true. But the truth of the matter is, God sent His Son to die on the cross for our sins. And through faith in Him, God acclaims that we are just like we've never sinned. That's how God views us. Question is, who will accuse you? Satan will, because that's part of his name, right? He's going to come and point a finger. Other people will, a lot of times. But as a Christian, you see, God is the one that matters, amen? And God will not be the one that accuses you and bring accusations against you because He's the one who's justified you. Now, before someone goes off on a wild tangent, that means you can go do anything you want to do. I did not say that God will not convict you. I did not say that there are not consequences to your sin. We've already talked about this in Romans. God will convict you, and yes, there are consequences to sin. But in light of eternity, if you're a Christian, God has justified you, and He looks at you just like you've never sinned. So who can bring anything against us? Who can charge us as believers? And then Paul answers that question, when he says, it's God that justifies us. <clears throat> you ever been upset? Well, this is a stupid question. I don't even need to answer it because I know we've got some papa bears and some mama bears here, don't we? You ever been upset when somebody comes out against your child and treats your child wrong or starts rumors about your child? Sure. Listen, God, the God of all the universe, if you know Christ is your Savior, is your Father. <laughs> He's Papa Bear. And no one can bring any charge against you because He's the one that justified you. Question number three is this. Question number three is who, who is to condemn us? Who is to condemn us? Paul writes in verse 34, Who is to condemn? 
Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. The meaning of this question is this. The meaning of this question is, is condemnation. It's what he just said there. Who, who will condemn us? The meaning of it is, is condemnation. Who's going to pass judgment against us? Who's going to pass a sentence? Who's going to condemn us? The word even means to damn. Who, who will do that? That's the question that he's raising. Who is it that, that condemns? See, we're just told that God justified us, but he gives us some great answers about this thing called condemnation. Look at the answers that he gives, the answers to this question. The first answer to the question, he said, Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. The first answer to this question, who, who will condemn us, is this doctrine called substitution. Because Paul writes these words, Christ Jesus is the one who died. In other words, Jesus died for you. Jesus died for me. Jesus took our sin upon himself. Jesus died in our place. Jesus literally is our substitute. Jesus went to the cross and died a substitutionary death. Jesus took our sin upon himself. Jesus took our condemnation by being our substitute. So if if Jesus as our substitute died for us, He's not in the business of condemning you as a believer. Because He took your sins to the cross. I I brought it up a moment ago. There's therefore what? No. What? Condemnation. To those who are in Christ right now, there's no condemnation of those who are in Christ. Second answer he gives is resurrection. He said, more than that, more than just Jesus dying for you, more than that, who was raised? The resurrection of Jesus gives us the proof and the evidence that Jesus fulfilled everything necessary to pay for our condemnation, to pay for our sin. And the fact that Jesus took his life back up and he's alive and he's forever alive shows that he's done everything necessary to provide our salvation. Who is it that condemns? Jesus died for you. Jesus took his life back up to prove he had paid everything necessary. Next word is exaltation. That's the next answer. That simply means this. Jesus who is sent into this world as the God-man who lived a perfect sinless life, who went to the cross and was crucified in your place and died for you, was put in a tomb, but he took his life back up on the third day. But he has risen and he has sat down at the right hand of glory, the right hand of God the Father in heaven. He's exalted there upon the throne, given once again evidence beyond evidence that Jesus did everything necessary to provide our salvation because he's seated there in the heavenlies. And the last one is intercession. Who indeed is interceding for us. To chance upon is kind of part of the definition. It means to confer with, to make prayers, but also to to deal with. Who is it that will condemn us? Think of it as a court of law. And Satan stands up as a prosecuting attorney who wants to accuse us and he wants to condemn us because of our sins. 
The problem is this. God the Father is the judge, and he's already proclaimed us justified, just like we've never sinned. And Jesus Christ is our attorney, our defense attorney, and he's standing there with the wounds in his hands, showing what he has done for us. And he's praying for us, and he's defending us as our attorney. Who will condemn you? Satan would like to. Other people would like to. But if you know Christ as your Savior, there is therefore now no condemnation. Jesus died as your substitute. Jesus took his life back up from the grave. Jesus is sitting down at the right hand of God the Father. And Jesus is making intercession for us. Who will condemn us? You know, other people want to, but to be honest with you right now, I don't really care. Because I know who's at the right hand of the Father praying for me, interceding for me. We're looking at just serious but really vital important questions that Paul raises and then he gives us answers to. And the last question that he that he brings up is this. Question number four. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Who, or you might even say what, because of the list that's, that's given there, but what or who will, will separate us from the love of Christ? Let's look at the meaning of this question too, and then we'll answer it. Who will separate us? The word separate means to put a, a room between, a, a space between, to go away, to kind of put asunder. The idea of this empty expanse between you and someone or something. I can remember when Becky and I were dating and she decided to visit her first college out of town. And uh, I was going to a local college at, at the time and, and she decides to go with a couple of her friends and, and, and go on for the weekend to visit a, a college out of town. It wasn't far as up at Brevard, up, up in that direction. But man, it seemed like it was a huge space for me. It was just a weekend. You know why it seemed like it's such a huge space? I was scared to death she was going to decide to go there, and I didn't want to go there. And then she even calls me, you know, while, while she's there, and we're talking a little bit, and then I find out that, you know, there's these guys who were there as guides for the college, and they were going to take some of them out for a picnic. And I worked part-time at a theater over in, in, in Wilkes while I was going to the community college uh, there at the time. And I hear that over the phone. And, man, it's all I had to, in me to keep from saying, I need off tonight. I'm driving up to Brevard. You see, I, I didn't like this space. I still don't like it. We've been married all these years. And, you know, sometimes we have to be away a night or two from each other. But I don't like that space between us. But he, he's saying, who can separate us? Who, who can put a gap, a space, a room between us and the love of Christ? Who can put some kind of expanse, some type of separation between you as a believer and the love that God has for you in Christ? Who can separate us from that love? And then he answers the question. <clears throat> Well, let me, let me finish the question. I'm getting ahead of myself. She'll go, go ahead and go back. 
Shall tribulation or distress or persecution, all this is part of his question. Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword, as it is written, for your sake we're being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. And I, I just put all those word studies up. Don't have time to do uh, all of those. But tribulation means you're under pressure. Uh, the, the same word was used to talk about the trabellum sled that was used to be pulled across the grain to separate out the uh, the grain from the chaff to where the usable part was there. So, you know, we face tribulation and pressure in life. Distress means you're in this narrow place. Uh, you know, you feel everything pressing in on you. So it's a, it's a picture of calamity. Uh, persecution means you're being pursued or like someone's hunting you down to harm you or persecute you. Famine, of course, means without uh, food. I, you know, it could mean spiritual food also. You don't have to take it all completely literally. Uh, nakedness, of course, you know, nudity, but it can also be considered figuratively. Uh, a lot of different ways you can consider yourself like you're, like you're naked because of what's happened to you in your life. Uh, danger just talks about perilous situations. The sword uh, refers to uh, war uh, or even judicial punishment. And in other words, can, can the persecution of the government separate you from the love of Christ? Kill means to kill. Regard means to take an inventory. We're regarded... Believers are regarded as as sheep. It's like if we're inventoried, estimated as sheep for the slaughter, and it literally talks about a sheep walking forward to go to to slaughter. That's that's some of the words that he that he used there. Now, and I want you to understand something, because you see, I understand. I'm saying a lot of really good stuff today. I I love. I told somebody last week when I was getting ready to preach the passage last week. Last week and this week may be my favorite verses in all the Bible. You know, I don't know. It just may be for me. <clears throat> but it's not health and wealth that I'm giving you because you see, he didn't say you want to experience those things. You understand that. The the love of Christ doesn't separate us from those experiences. We can be touched by those experiences. But what he is saying, when those experiences come, those experiences cannot separate us from the love of Christ. In the midst of those circumstances, in the midst of those situations, he's saying that it cannot separate us from the love of Christ. So what's his answer? I've been wanting to get to this all day long. No! That's his answer. And man, preacher, that's deep. You thought a lot about that. I'm just telling you what God said. I mean, I was studying this week and got to that point, and God said, that's all really about all you need to say. No. What can separate us? Can all those things that He just listed, can all those things separate us from the love of Christ? No. That's what He says. He says, no, in all these things, we're more than conquerors through Him who loved us. No, otherwise, contrary-wise, there's something else. Instead of those things separating you, he's saying that you as a believer, you are more than a conqueror. You're not just a conqueror. It goes, goes way beyond that. It moves beyond that. <coughs> it means to, <clears throat> to vanquish beyond what you need to win the victory. It means to gain a, a decisive victory. It's not like you just barely win. To be honest with you, Jesus won at the cross. When he went to the cross and shed his blood and he took his life back up, the game was over for Satan. Our sins were paid for. 
And if you have faith in Jesus Christ, none of those things, you can add to the list whatever you want to add to the list. None of those things can separate you from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus. We're more than conquerors through Him, the channel of the act, the way you're more than a conqueror is not in your own ability, not in your flesh, not in the energies of your own workings. You're more than a conqueror through the channel of the act, through Him who loved you. He says, for I'm sure that neither death nor life, look at the contrast kind of he has here, that neither death or life nor angels or rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor death nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Paul said, I'm fully convinced. I'm fully pacified. I, I fully believe this is what he's saying. And I'm going to completely rely upon it. It's what Paul is telling us. There's nothing, none of those things or anything else you can add to the list that can separate us from the love of God that's in, that's in Christ. That'll be enough for your Christmas present for the rest of your life. And know that there's not anything at all that can separate you from the love of God that is in Christ. Look at the next slide. I'm going to close, but I'll go, go ahead and put on that one, Greg, please. So there's nothing able, nothing has the ability, nothing has the power like dynamite. Nothing can do that to separate us, to put that room between us and, and, and the love of God because we have that love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. And the word in, that little word in it, that we read over so quick, a lot of times in English and the Greek, that word actually means in a fixed position. See, that's why there's no separation between you and the love of God as a Christian, because as a Christian, the moment you're in Christ in a fixed position, you're also in God's love as a fixed position for all eternity. <clears throat> if God is for us, who can be against us? If God is for you, who can be against you? Walk back through it for a moment. <clears throat> God, the very God of all the universe, God the Father, is for you. He proved it by sending His Son to die for your sins. So He's not against you. God the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, actually went to the cross and died for your sins. And right now, He's at the right hand of God the Father praying for you. So Jesus isn't against you. In the Holy Spirit of God, according to Romans chapter 8, the moment we receive Christ as our Savior, the Holy Spirit of God comes to indwell our lives. And He's there to be our guide, our comforter. He's not against you. <laughs> We're narrowing the list down a little bit. Who is against you? Satan. But who cares? <laughs> Because Satan isn't God. And the Bible says God is for you. And that doesn't mean so much that God is on your side. It means that through faith in Jesus Christ, you're on God's side, and that's why He's for you. 
Let's pray. Father, God, we thank you for these promises and these truths that you give us in your word. Lord, we know in life we have many things that want to come against us, and Satan desires to come against us, and he desires to accuse us and point his finger. Lord, many times, even as believers, we worry about if you're against us. Father, we thank you that through faith in Jesus Christ, you make us just like we've never sinned. That Jesus took all of our condemnation to the cross and he paid for our sins. And you tell us here that you're not against us. And Jesus isn't against us because he died on the cross for our sins. And the Holy Spirit isn't against us because he's in our lives to be our God. The Father for believers here today, God, I just pray that that right now, if they're wrestling with things being against them, first of all, that that you just remind them and, and God help them to cling to the reality as a believer, as a Christian, that you're for them. But Father, for anyone that may be here this morning that does not know Christ as their Savior, help them to see that their sins are against them. And that there is a separation, a space between them and you because you're holy. And help them to understand the only way that space can be erased is through faith in Jesus Christ who died on the cross in our place. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. John leads us. We invite you to stand. If as a believer you need to come and kneel, it might be a good morning to come and say, God, thank you that you're for me. But if you don't know Christ as your Savior, there is a degree of separation. I alluded to it in the prayer. There's a, a space between you and Holy God. And the only thing that, that can erase that space is Jesus and faith in Him. So God speaks to your heart. We invite you to come. Thanks for listening to this sermon audio production from Day 3 Church. We pray that it has ministered to you. For more information about our location, service times, or other sermon podcasts, please visit us online at day3church.org. Day 3 Church. Experience a new day in your life.